0: We are, reading, we are reading today from Philippians 2, verse 19 to 30, page 831 in the Church Bibles. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me.
1: Oh, hi there, everyone. I'm Epaphroditus. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. What kind of name is that? That's what the people writing the name tag said as I came in this morning. It took two of them to get it on there, actually. Apparently, the name Paphroditus not that common in these parts. That's strange. It's really common where I'm from in Philippi. The name means very lovely or charming. I know, I can see the irony too. I don't know if it was just wishful thinking on me mum's part, or maybe I peeked in me looks as a newborn. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for letting me join you today. And thanks, Dave, for asking me to say a couple of words. Appreciate it. But I noticed nobody really explained my situation, though, did they? Basically, I'm just passing through on my me, on me way back to Philippi, where I'm from. And it's so good to find that there's a church here, too. I never knew that you guys were even here. I've been in Rome, actually, with the Apostle Paul. You guys have heard of Paul, right? Everybody's heard of Paul, even if you haven't met him before. Anyway, as, as I'm sure you've heard, Paul's in prison at the moment. Now if you haven't heard, look, it's, go, it's tough going for him, there's no denying it. He's suffering in there for sure but you know what? He's rejoicing, not about the suffering, he's rejoicing because all sorts of people in Rome are, are hearing about Jesus because he's in prison. You know, I saw it myself, those Roman soldiers, some of them are like this close to becoming full-on believers like you and me. Anyway, I've been asked today to share a bit about my story and I don't usually do the whole talking up the front kind of thing so bear with me and I'll fill you in a bit on what's been happening. Basically when all us Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome we knew we had to do something. You know we consider ourselves full partners with Paul in the gospel. Paul brought us the gospel and we want to help him take it well everywhere he can of course and so when we heard he was in prison we knew that we had to help him out. I was talking to someone here before the service and they said that here you've got those luxury kind of prisons where they supply your own food and clothes and, and stuff. Let me tell you, we ain't got them in Rome. You've got to supply the lot yourself, food, clothes, everything. And so as a church in Philippi, we, we scraped together some money to send to Paul so that he could keep defending and confirming the gospel there in front of Caesar, there in front of the whole world. But of course, getting the money together, that ain't half the job. Getting it to Paul in Rome, that's the real pain in the... But, sorry, used to be a soldier myself, still a bit rough around the edges. Actually, that's part of the reason they chose me, you know, to deliver the money to Paul. They wanted someone who was reliable, who wouldn't run off with the money and do something stupid. And of course, they wanted someone who wasn't going to get themselves mugged the minute they stepped out of Philippi. So, it's pretty obvious why they chose me. Apart from being a fairly honest bloke, I may not be lovely or charming, but there's no denying I'm built like Hercules. <laughs> what, you don't look so convinced. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. I don't look like I used to. I've lost a lot of weight. I used to be 110 kilos and all of it muscle, let me tell you. Actually, that's the next part of my story. Let me tell you what happened. Three of us were chosen to deliver the money. I was the leader and the other two were helping me out. You don't travel alone with that kind of money. And so we set off for Rome. It was pretty inconvenient, you know, really. Had to leave behind my wife and kids and then the business. But they were all behind me. They all wanted me to do it. It's a long walk to Rome, you know, and there's ships as well. It's a dangerous trip. But we felt like we were doing exactly what God wanted us to be doing. And to start off with, it felt like God was really blessing our trip. You know, the weather was great. We made excellent time. We were saving money by camping out. But then disaster struck. We're about halfway into the trip, and we're talking a few weeks into it, right? And I started to get sick. And boy, do I mean sick. To start off with, I thought it was just seasickness, and I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with you, man? You're going soft. But then I kept getting worse and worse and and worse, and I could see I was slowing everyone down. I mean... The whole mission was being put at risk. And we were praying and and hoping I'd get better, but I didn't. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what to do. You know, I'm thinking to myself, why are you letting this happen, God? I'm thinking, we're trying to do a good thing here for you, and it's all going wrong. I don't know if it was because I was just so sick and so low, but I started thinking, perhaps this is a sign from God. Who am I to be entrusted with this kind of responsibility? Some people back home seem to have doubts about sending me an ordinary bloke like me. Maybe they should have chosen someone else, I'm thinking. Who did I think I was, thinking I could be a part of God's work like this? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Ever felt like you've got nothing to offer? For me, back when I put my hand up for the job back in Philippi, I just felt excited to finally make a meaningful contribution to the work of Christ. You know, I thought to myself, yep, Frody, oh, sorry, that's the, that's the name I call myself, it's what my wife calls me. Anyway, I thought, yep, Frody, you're not a preacher, you're not a great small group leader, and now the whole church knows that you're not a great kids ministry leader since, anyway, won't go into that. But I thought, getting money safely to Rome, now that's something you can do. But then, as it turns out, it was looking like I couldn't even do that. Maybe you don't get just how serious the situation was. You know, I couldn't go back on my own, I was just too sick. But if someone came back with me, well, we couldn't just send one person onwards on their own. It's too dangerous, they'd be mugged for sure. And we we, we tried to stay put for a bit, but I wasn't getting better. And the other blokes refused to just leave me, because they would have just been leaving me to die alone. The other two, they were saying to me, let's all just go back. They said, God knows what he's doing. We'll just go back, we'll reset and we'll start out again. And then it hit me. No way. We're not going back. I mean, if we go back, we're going to waste a whole heap of money paying the fare for the ship all over again, paying for food and lodging. And worst of all, it's going to waste a whole heap of time. And that's what we really couldn't afford. Another three, four five weeks even, just to limp back into Philippi. Then we'd need to raise more money to make up for what we'd lost. And then we'd need to set out all over again. And meanwhile, our partner, Paul, would have been stuck there, in prison, without food, without our support. And then he wouldn't have been able to stand up for the truth of the gospel on our behalf. I can honestly say my, my pride was broken at this point. It was gone. You know, I might have been a bit proud when I, when I left Philippi, but it was completely gone at this point. And what they said was true. God knows what he's doing. Isn't that always the truth? And so I knew it could cost me my life to keep going, but I thought, God knows what he's doing. If it costs me my life, well, God knows what he's doing. Let it be. So I said to them, no way, we're not going back, we're going on to Rome. The others, they resisted for a bit and I had to put my foot down and it wasn't until I reminded them of something that they finally agreed to push on. I said to them, remember what Paul often says? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Actually, in this letter I'm taking back to Philippi, I think he says it in there somewhere too. To live is Christ, to die is gain. When I reminded of that... of that, they agreed that we could keep going no matter what the cost. So we pushed on and I can honestly say that I can't remember much about that part of the journey. I was delirious most of the time. In fact, I wouldn't get too caught up on the details of anything I'm saying today. I was so sick that my memory of the details could be a bit out. But I'm told we stumbled into Rome. I collapsed and I wasn't really with it for quite a while and in the end I was was sick for so long that the other two, they, they had to go back to Philippi and I'm pretty sure they would have been thinking that they were leaving me for dead I kind of have this hazy memory of one of them saying their goodbyes by my bed so now everyone in Philippi back home must be thinking the worst so you can see why I'm pretty keen to get back and let them know that no God had mercy on me he let me live and Paul when I got better tell you what he just seemed so relieved he was praying all the time I think And he was so thankful to God for my church, for me. I said to him, look, Paul, it was a no-brainer, really. Of course we make sacrifices for the gospel. I mean, Jesus served us after all. He sacrificed himself for us. So of course we're going to make sacrifices for him and for others. But you know what Paul said to me? He said, that's spot on, but not everyone sees it that way. I hope that's not true. What do you reckon? I mean, surely it's pretty clear that we should be like the Lord we serve. Surely we should want to live worthy of the gospel message. To me, it seems a no-brainer. But then again, I've had some pretty good role models in my life. Paul's a pretty amazing teacher, pretty amazing example. He points you to Jesus all the time, Paul does. It's almost like Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord. Actually, I think he does say that somewhere. I reckon most believers, though, I reckon they would have done the same thing as me. In the end, to me, the choice was clear. I could put my health first and go back. Or I could put Jesus first and the gospel first and go on. Surely, when it's that clear, every believer would just make the same decision. What I reckon's hard is actually living for Christ when things aren't so clear-cut, you know what I mean? Putting Christ first living worthy of the Gospel in the everyday, ordinary stuff, I reckon that's heaps harder. So anyway, as you can imagine, I'm pretty keen now to get back on the road, back to Philippi. I was pretty keen when I was back in Rome. You know, they don't know that I'm okay, still. Even my family doesn't know. And that brings me to here now. I'm on my way home to Philippi and Paul gave me this letter to take back to them. It's embarrassing actually, you know, I was there when Paul was dictating the letter to be written down. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, honour people like me. <laughs> Here, I'll just, I'll just read you what he wrote. Ugh. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed he was ill and almost died but God had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. He's a top bloke. Therefore I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him, this is the embarrassing bit, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves Could not give me. So I'm like, no, 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 Paul, don't say that. You can't put that in there. And he's like, yes, Frody. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, he calls me that too. He heard my wife say it one time and he thought it was hilarious. Anyway, at least he didn't write it in the letter. But anyway, he says, yes, Frody, it's going in. He says, I'm not writing it just for your benefit. I'm writing it for their benefit. And I was like, how do you mean? And so he says, by honouring you, I'm honouring them. And he says, more than that, I want them to see examples of how the gospel shapes lives. It's always about the gospel with Paul. Have you ever noticed that? And it's contagious. And that's his point, I reckon. The examples that people set for us and the examples that we set for others, they're contagious. What sort of examples are you guys setting? I hope... As a church, the person you look look up to is not the upfront kind of person, or the funny person, the gifted musician, the well off person. Look up to the people who make sacrifices for Jesus, whoever they are. To be honest, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit nervous about having this bit of the letter read out loud at church. You know, what does Paul even mean by honour people like him? They better not try and chuck me a party or something. I couldn't stand that. But I don't think a party's what Paul's got in mind anyway. What he's saying is, however we do it, we should value those who value Jesus first. It's embarrassing, but if what I've done encourages others to live for Jesus and to make sacrifices for Him, then so be it. I'm happy to be embarrassed for that. But still, I think I might slip out into the kitchen when they read that little bit of the letter. i tell you who is a great example, though, worth looking up to. That young fella, Timothy, he's an awesome bloke. Have you guys met him here? Timothy, he's one of a kind. Well, actually, that's not quite true. Him and Paul are like two peas in a pod, actually. If you didn't know it, you'd actually think they were father and son. It's not that they look alike at all. It's it's just that they think the same way, those two. They care about the same things. It's all about people hearing about Jesus and living worthy of the gospel for those two. I hope for your sake that, Timothy drops in here on his way on to Philippi. Paul's going to send him on to us once he finds out what's happening with him and how he's going. See, the thing about Timothy is he really lives out the gospel. He walks in Jesus' footsteps. He looks out for Jesus' interests, which means he cares about other people more than himself. And when you meet someone like that, boy, it's inspiring stuff. You want to be just like him. Because you realise that that's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And to be honest, that's part of our problem at the moment back home in Philippi. We've forgotten a bit what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Let me explain. When I got to Rome, when I was well enough, I told Paul about some of the problems that we've been having back home. Part of the problem is the opposition we've been getting, the the persecution. I don't know what it's like here, but in Philippi, People think we're stupid for following Jesus. They think we're a bit morally suspect and they're getting more and more hostile. It's been hard. But what's been harder still is that we're turning on each other a bit. We've been disagreeing about stuff and just not getting along, grumbling and arguing. There's some fighting even happening between some ladies in my church. I'd, I'd give you the details, but I don't want to gossip. And if I did tell you, Yodia would probably kill me. I shouldn't have even said that. Look, just don't tell her you heard it from me, if you see her. You wouldn't want to risk it anyway. Now, it might sound like a small thing, that we're fighting with each other a bit, but it's not. If we don't stand together as one, for the sake of the Gospel, if we put our interests first, well, we won't be living worthy of the Gospel, and we could end up seeing some of us walking away from Jesus altogether. It really is, united we stand, divided we fall. Back home, we haven't been able to figure out what to do about it. And Paul was pretty worried when I told him about it. But when I said, we've got no idea what to do about it, he said to me, really? Really? He said, what you need to do is easy. He said, we've got to remind people again and again of the gospel they believe. We've got to get them to fix their eyes on the God who put the interest of sinners above himself. And that, he said, that'll be the antidote to all your problems. Unbelievable. He hit the nail on the head. Now, we knew that already, of course, but it's just so easy to forget. But if we remember the gospel, suddenly I see the problem is is not allowing... Is, is, the problem's not how annoying the person next to me is. Have a look at them. Go on, I'm not going to move on until you have a look at them. That's it. They're annoying at times, aren't they? Nah. But get this, when you remember what Jesus did for each one of us, think about it, what Jesus did for me, dying in agony on the cross for me. Well, then you remember the problem's not with them. The real problem is with us being willing to walk in the footsteps of our Lord. The antidotes to all our problems is always found in the Gospel, you see. And when you see others as more valuable than yourself because of the Gospel, suddenly pretty much any problem you can imagine will disappear. That's what this letter's all about. And it's why Paul's sending Timothy later on. He wants to make sure that my church really gets it. And I'll tell you what. Timothy's perfect for the job. He genuinely loves Jesus, so he puts the interests of others above himself. Here, I'll just read you what Paul writes about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Well, I can see... no, 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 sit down, Dave. I can see Dave's getting a bit edgy. Look at him. (laughs) Ah, thanks for letting me share, Dave. (laughs) When he first spoke to me about this, I said, I don't know, I wouldn't have much to say. (laughs) But look, I could go on for a couple of hours. Our sermons in Philippi go for three hours. Is that what happens here? Ah, relax Dave, I'm just kidding. I'll be all done in 15 minutes, 30 max. (laughs) Kidding brother, just breathe mate, breathe. I'm nearly done, but I've got a couple more things I want to say first. I've got a question for you actually. What sort of people are worth looking up to and allowing them to influence you? What sort of people are worth looking up to and allowing them to influence you? Oh, look, I'll just give you the answer. The kind of people worth looking up to, worth being influenced by, are those people who put Jesus' interests above their own. The kind of people who genuinely are concerned for the welfare of others. People who would risk their life for the work of Christ. That's who we should be looking up to. And that's the example we should be setting You know, most of us got some kind of ideal in our head of of who we want to be like. Sometimes it's a a specific person, but sometimes it's just an idea of someone. It might be someone who's carefree or funny or comfortable or well-off or confident or successful. Usually the people we have in mind are just different versions of people who look out for themselves. Let me say it again. The kind of people really worth looking up to are those who look out for Jesus' interests. And the kind of example worth sitting, worth setting, kind of example worth setting, because we all set an example, right? Whether good or bad. But the only example worth having and worth setting is as people who live for Jesus' interests. When we live focused on Jesus, it means we're focused on others. And it's a truly remarkable thing. It's so different to the world around us. That's how you shine as stars in a dark universe. Have you heard that expression, look out for number one? I love that expression. But you know who number one is, don't you? It's Jesus. We look out for Jesus and that means we look out for others and help them live worthy of the gospel. So who are your examples? You know, it's so easy to let our heads get filled with junk We're constantly being told what matters in life and we've constantly got examples paraded before us. We're told we need to be like the rich, the greedy, the sexually immoral, the partiers, the drunkards, the relaxed, the carefree, selfish retiree types, the politically correct, the progressives. Nah, we need to be like Jesus and we can be like Jesus. Trade in your poor examples for better ones. I'm sure there are amazing examples of people here. Amazing examples of people here who've made sacrifices for Jesus. You'd have people who give up their time for kids' ministry. People who ooze love for Jesus and for others and live it out. Someone was telling me just before about a bloke you've got here who's been pretty sick, a bit like me. Gives up his time every week just to teach a handful of kids about Jesus. That's worth honouring. That's worth looking up to. They're the kind of people you should want to be like because they're like Jesus. And make sure as a church you're encouraging good examples here. (laughs) Have you noticed that sometimes as Christians we can be like, nah, don't say thank you to people. They're doing it for Jesus, not for the thanks. What's with that? But then at other times, have you noticed that we can be all like, oh, every single little thing someone does, we've got to say thank you for and acknowledge so that we don't offend them. And so every meeting becomes like a boring speech at a wedding, listing all the people you want to think, think. I'd like to thank Clement for putting up the tables for community lunch, I'd like to thank Yodia for that moving prayer, I'd like to thank Great Aunt Christinopoulos for that amazing baklava. (sighs) What matters is not that everyone gets their little pat on the back, what matters is that we hold up great examples of people who put Jesus' interest first and because of that, they put others first. That's why we should thank people. That's why we should praise people. And we should do it, not just up the front. We should do it individually as well. So, I guess today, what I want you to take away is this. Honour those people who make sacrifices for Jesus. And follow their example. And set this kind of example yourself by putting Jesus' interest first, which means putting others above yourself. Now, I know you do this already, and it's an amazing and beautiful thing. We shine like stars in a dark universe because the Holy Spirit moves us to be like Jesus. It's amazing stuff. Keep it up. All right, you can relax now, Dave. You look a bit red, mate. You all right? I'll sit down for real this time. Thanks for having me along, folks. God bless you.